You're listening to The Q's Podcast, Episode 61. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. You're choosing The Q's Podcast, where we speak with credit union industry leaders and cross-industry experts for a wide range of perspectives on trends and topics relevant to you. I'm your host, Lisa Hograff, a senior editor with Q's. In this podcast episode, we'll focus on pre-purchase analysis of investments that credit unions use to fund their benefits plans. This pre-purchase analysis is required by the National Credit Union Administration. While the topic is fairly complex, NCUA has spelled out pretty well what credit unions need to do to comply. And our guest, Greg Smythe, an executive benefits specialist from CUNA Mutual Group, he'll help you clarify what you need to do. A key takeaway from this show will be what credit unions need to do to perform a pre-purchase analysis of investments being used to fund benefits plans. The show also gets into the difference between permissible and impermissible investments, what kinds of benefits plans can be funded with these investments, and some key reasons why a credit union might want to fund its executive and employee benefits programs with investments that require the pre-purchase analysis. Okay, now let's jump into the conversation and learn more about pre-purchase analysis of these investments. Hi, Greg. Welcome to the show. Hi, Lisa. It's great to be here. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. It's wonderful having you. Before we get started, I'd like to help our listeners get to know you just a little bit. Greg, I know you're an executive benefits advisor with CUNA Mutual Group. What do you do in your role on a day-to-day or a week-to-week basis, and what is the most satisfying part of that work? Lisa, as an executive benefits advisor with CUNA Mutual Group, I assist credit unions with the design, implementation, and service of executive benefit plans. I also work with the investments that fund those plans. One thing that's really satisfying to me is I would equate this to we all have a certain amount of anxiety when it comes to funding our retirement. And the one thing here we do here in the Executive Benefits Department is help executives plan for their retirement and kind of take that stress off that plate and allow them to spend more time running the credit union and doing the things that they're, that they're employed to do there. Thanks, Greg. That's great. Uh, let's jump into the topic at hand. To help readers understand the context of the discussion, let me ask you a couple of questions. I know NCUA allows credit unions to make investments outside of Section 703, but what is the purpose of doing this? Lisa, the one thing that's been very consistent over the past several years is the dramatic increase in employee benefit expenses, especially the cost of health insurance. On the other hand, when you take a look at credit unions' investment yields and earnings, they have had a much slower growth and a much slower pace. Um, benefit expenses may be increasing 4 to 5% per year. Investment yields may only be between 2 and 3%. The NCUA recognized this imbalance, and they decided to help mitigate the problem. They allow credit unions to make investments that in the past had been considered impermissible. And this expanded investment offering allows a credit union to seek potentially higher-yielding investments And that extra income can then go towards employee benefit expenses. That sounds really important. I think that many companies are entering open enrollment season and benefits are such a big cost for so many. It's interesting that NCUA is allowing, if I'm understanding it correctly, 
credit unions to do some different kinds of investing to help pay for those more expensive plans. That is exactly right. That's the sole purpose behind this is to help continue to provide those benefit plans to the employees. I've understood that there is a pre-purchase analysis of these investments that's required by NCUA. Would you tell us more about that? Sure. One of the most important things a credit union can do when considering any type of investment is a thorough pre-purchase analysis. The NCUA actually requires this to help ensure that the credit union is making informed decisions, that they understand any sort of risks, rewards, and the individual unique characteristics of an investment. When that investment decision is made and the credit union has done a thorough pre-purchase analysis, they should be confident that their decision is suitable not only for the credit union but for its members. And a pre-purchase analysis will also help defend that decision with their examiners in the NCUA. Very good. So what kinds of employee benefit plans and executive benefit plans can be offset with this set of investments? Number one, employee health insurance expenses. If a credit union has a 401k, the matching contributions can be offset. Employee life insurance expenses, long and short-term disability plans, pension plans, post-retiree health benefit plan funding, and non-qualified deferred compensation plan, 457F, specifically in the credit unions. And those are for the executives, right? That's correct. It does seem like a fairly complex matter. Where does the NCUA spell out guidelines for analyzing these investments before your credit union purchases them? The NCUA has an examiner guide that they publish online. So if you were to go to ncua.gov, look for the search feature and actually type in examiner guide, you'll find it. My suggestion would be definitely bookmark that site because it is a great reference. It's specifically designed for the field staff at the NCUA to assist them in, in conducting their exams. But I also think it's a great resource for credit union management. If credit union hasn't seen the guide again, download it or go ahead and bookmark it so that it's available to you. I'd say that this guide, it's equivalent of having an open book exam. Now, by reviewing it, you're going to have a clear understanding of how to conduct a pre-purchase analysis, and you're really going to know what an examiner is going to be looking for uh, when they do have that exam. That sounds like a great way to prepare, and I hope that our listeners will take some time and go check it out if they haven't already. But while I have you, Greg, I want to ask you, how extensive does a credit union's pre-purchase analysis need to be? It really depends, Lisa, on the type of investment that's being made. I would say a credit union, when making any sort of investment, should conduct a thorough analysis. But some investments are simply more complicated, have more risk, just different characteristics associated with them. So if it's something that a credit union might be familiar with or something similar to what's considered permissible, it's going to require a little bit less on the pre-purchase side and the due diligence. If something's completely out of their wheelhouse, something they're not at all familiar with, a much greater in-depth pre-purchase analysis, much more due diligence is going to be required. So just kind of depends on the situation and, and what they're looking at doing. The NCUA exam guide outlines 10 steps credit unions can take to do their pre-purchase analysis. I'm hoping we can highlight a few of these steps for our audience. You've already shared that these investments can be used to offset traditional employee benefit expenses and to fund executive benefits plans. So once the need for investment has been determined, what comes next? Yeah, once you've determined, hey, we have a need, these investments really make make a lot of sense, you really need to determine what is the appropriate investment amount. 
And there's two things really to look at here. Um, one can be found directly, actually both of these can be found directly in the examiner's guide. First one is called a directly related test. In the guide, as I mentioned, it is very clearly to state that the investments made must be in direct relation to the credit union's benefit expenses. That's a little bit confusing. Let me give you just an example. Say a credit union makes an investment and it earns $50,000 per year. To be compliant under the NCOA regulation, that credit union has to have a minimum of $50,000 in employee benefit expenses. And again, it's going to be those employee benefit expenses we talked about a few minutes ago, 401k match, your premiums for health insurance, life, disability insurance. So there has to be a direct relation. Credit union can't just turn around and invest, you know, $10 million, earn $300,000 in income, and only offset $50,000 in benefits. There has to be that direct relation. That's first and foremost. And second, something that has really been kind of confusing in the past, and the NCUA back in October of, of 2017 finally lended a little bit of clarity to, is they updated their examiner guide, and they gave some guideline investment amounts based on a credit union size or a credit union's net worth. So they kind of specifically state they really don't want to see a concentration of greater than 25% of a credit union's net worth. If a credit union happens to go above that 25%, doesn't mean those investments will have to be divested, doesn't mean necessarily that they're you know, going to be subject to any sort of corrective action. What it does mean is that they're going to be subject to an increased examination scope. They can expect to do more ongoing monitoring. They can certainly expect to do more uh, just review of those investments in general and to answer a lot more questions. So one thing that we have done kind of consistently over the last several years here at CUNY Mutual is recommend that 25%. That's kind of been, you know, a staple for us over the last several years. One other number to keep in mind is uh, some of these investments are with insurance carriers, and the NCUA recommends no more than 15% with any one non-governmental company like an insurance carrier, for instance. So a couple things to keep in mind making sure the investment is directly related to your benefits and making sure you're doing some sort of test to see indeed you're staying below that 25% or if you go above that you're going to be ready to answer some additional questions and certainly have a increased examination scope with this part of it. It sounds very useful to have some pretty clear guidelines about the investment amount. Once the amount has been determined, how does the credit union take next steps in deciding among the various investment options that might be available. Yep. So the credit unions determine they need an investment. They've done an analysis and determined the amount that's appropriate, not only to help offset that benefit, but to stay within the NCUA guidelines. Next thing is really to look at the types of investments that are available and what really makes sense in the credit union market space. So there's a few different types of investments. The first thing really to consider is gosh, can we offset these benefit expenses with permissible investments? And permissible investments fall under Section 703, which basically governs the investment practices of federally chartered credit unions. So if they're able to do that under these permissible investments, it's going to be a lot easier for them. Well, let's see they, their benefit expenses are much higher than what these traditional investments can offer. Then they're going to look at these non-traditional investments. And that's going to be things like business-owned life insurance or BOLI, which is essentially a corporate-owned life insurance policy used for cash value generation. And it's usually not used specifically for the insurance, but it can be. Uh, another thing that's very popular in credit unions are annuities. 
specifically variable annuities. They offer some sort of guarantees associated with them, and they offer upside potential in certain cases of stocks and bonds. So another investment that would uh, we see commonly in, in credit unions. And the probably more common one that we've seen lately is true investment accounts. And what I mean by that is we use the word investment, and investment relates to certificates of deposits, annuities, business-owned life insurance. But in the world of investments, what that really means lots of times is things like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, the world of variable investments, things that are tied to the stock market or tied to the bond market. That's, you know, to, to go back to your question a few minutes ago where you said, hey, what amount of due diligence or pre-purchase analysis is required? Those investment accounts are going to be the most complex. They're going to have potentially the best reward, but they're also going to have the most risk that goes along with them. So what we generally look at is, geez, what's the level of sophistication of the credit union? What type of monitoring are they going to be able to do with these investment portfolios? And what type of returns are they really looking for? So those are the most common types out there. There are other investments that that are available, but that's primarily what we've been seeing over the last several years. That's a good list. I want to ask you to to say again a little bit more about permissible versus impermissible. I heard you say that if a credit union can fund its benefits plans with permissible benefits, that will be less work for them. What do you mean? Because they don't have to do as much pre-investment analysis, or is there more? That's a good question. So under the Section 703, there's basically a list of permissible investments, and that's what credit unions traditionally invest in. Um, it's going to be things like certificates deposit. It might be cash accounts, uh, government agency securities. There's just a list of things that they are very familiar in investing, and in. it's what they've always done. So if they're able to find higher yields or higher rates of return there that help, you know, match their employee benefit expenses, things like that, there's really not a lot of reason to look at these impermissible investments. Why put your credit union through unnecessary risk, or why put yourself through all the analysis and ongoing monitoring you're going to have to do. So impermissible would be like the business on life insurance, the annuities and the investment accounts. It's something they're traditionally not familiar with, with, and they're going to, there's going to be a bit of a learning curve there, and there's going to be all the ongoing monitoring and things that take place. So it's just, hey, if you can do it with what the NCUA traditionally allows, it probably makes sense. If you're looking for potentially higher yielding investments, probably makes a lot of sense to look outside of that. Yeah, super. Thanks very much for the clarity on that. Uh, I have a note here that there might even some be some additional criteria a credit would use in making these decisions about the investments. Would you elaborate on those? Yeah, so whether it's a credit union making an investment or whether it's just an individual investor choosing some investments for their retirement, there's some things you really need to look at. Uh, first and foremost, what's the objective? What are you trying to achieve with this? Are you trying to offset your employee benefit expenses? Are you maybe putting a deferred compensation plan in place? What's the need for the investment? Um, when are the funds going to be need? Is this a long-term investment, something you're going to keep on the books for years and years, or is this something that maybe is going to be tied to, like I said, an executive benefit plan that's going to pay out in five years? You need to determine the length of the investment and that's going to, you know, help determine the type of investment. Uh, another big one is risk tolerance. There are certain credit unions, and maybe it's the difference between the size of a credit union. Larger credit union might be able to absorb a little bit more volatility, whereas a smaller credit union might not want that volatility. Um, larger credit credit union perhaps might have more people on staff who can specifically help monitor and manage these investments 
maybe a smaller credit union that has 10 employees and they just can't dedicate somebody to doing this. So you have to be able to determine that risk tolerance and then who's going to be able to help manage and monitor that. So that's the big thing is just what's the need, what's the risk tolerance, and what are the objectives for the for the investment. It sounds like a very good idea to get in touch with your big picture perspective on all of this before you dive in. After that, do you then need to analyze the associated risks and rewards of each investment? And if so, what kinds of risks are we talking about? Yeah, so the big part of the pre-purchase analysis is to determine what exactly are the risks. The examiner's guide does a great job of outlining basically seven key risks to look for. I'm going to touch on them all briefly just to give you an idea. Again, this is going to be in the examiner's guide, but these are kind of the key things as far as risk goes. So you've got credit risk, and what that is is it's a risk an investment may default. Uh, you've got interest rate risk, which basically means that you could potentially lose money because of changing interest rates. Liquidity risk, that's kind of straightforward, but it says, hey, when you need the money, is it going to be available? Is it liquid enough for the credit union? A big one that the NCUA has seen is transaction or operational risk. And basically what that means is making sure the person responsible for the accounting and the 5300 call reporting understands the accounting that goes with this. You don't want to be making adjustments or restatements to your financial statement. And you certainly don't want to be in a position where you have unexpected financial statement impacts. You know, you invest in something and unfortunately you didn't realize it had a surrender charge and that's going to show up on a financial statement somewhere. You need to be aware of all of the accounting that goes into this so you're not making any sort of restatements. Compliance risk. What that means is, hey, it's playing compliance with the NCUA. Is the IRS okay with this? And in certain cases, is ERISA? Does it meet their guidelines? So just making sure that it's a compliant plan. Strategic risk. And this is just... Investment might be appropriate today, but how does it fit your future or your long-term strategic plan? Does this fit with your long-term investment needs? And then reputation risk. This is something I hear about quite a bit, actually, and it's just a negative perception if you put an extensive executive benefit package in place that your financials of the credit union aren't that great. It harm your reputation, not only to the employees, but to outside. It's just definitely got to consider that. So those are primarily the seven risks. There's more risks associated with it, but this is really what the NCUA has defined within the examiner's guide. That's a good list. Can a credit union's management team monitor their investments and respond to each kind of risk for the investments? I believe if a credit union has done a completed and thorough pre-purchase analysis, that's just part of it. It's determining, hey, these investments make sense today. But you have to make sure you monitor those investments on a regular basis. You're reviewing them. If it happens to be an investment, you're looking at the performance. Does it still meet within the risk tolerance of the credit union? If you're using business on life insurance, which is with an insurance company, what do the ratings look like today? Does that fit within your investment policy? Have the ratings gone down? Is this something you should reconsider investing in? So the credit union's management definitely should be monitoring these investments, and they should have a policy in place that basically states, you know, what type of investments they can invest in, what credit quality, things like that. And to be able to respond to those risks is equally important. They don't want to be behind the eight ball on this. They want to make sure that they are, you know, making those making those investment decisions and those changes when needed. So after a credit union does a full, thorough, uh, appropriate level of pre-analysis before it purchases investments, to fund benefits plans. I'm imagining that they go ahead and purchase investments and set up plans. And then sometime later, the credit union examiners come around. 
and ask the questions from the examiner's guide you've talked about. So my question is, how can a credit union best document its work in the, doing the pre-purchase analysis, both for itself, for its leaders, and for the examiners when they come? That really is a good question. One thing they can do to document this is to have a board-approved investment policy statement, something that clearly defines the amount of the investments, the type of the investments, um, and also defines what investments might not be allowed. So that's first and foremost, that's documented. The second would be having clear, concise documentation or notes or recording all the way through the process of the pre-purchase. Once you've made the investment, I mentioned this before, it's equally as important that they continue to monitor and document that, um, whether it's say a quarterly review for an investment call, whether it's an annual review on a business-owned life insurance policy, showing that you've done your due diligence, that indeed you've reviewed things like carrier ratings, you've reviewed the performance of any type of investment, and that you're continuing to monitor and do your due diligence. Another good thing would be if you've got examiners come in, you know they're coming in, refer back to the examiner's guide. Look for things that they have outlined in their pre-purchase analysis, and they also have information not only for pre-purchase, but for ongoing monitoring these. Look through it. Make sure that you're doing that and that you're adhering to that, not just for the exam, but for the safety of those investments, your credit union, and your members. Greg, that sounds like really good thinking. What closing advice do you have for credit unions undertaking a pre-purchase analysis of investments to help fund executive and employee benefits plans? I think a lot of this is going to be redundant, but again, conduct a thorough pre-purchase exam examination. Go to the NCOA's website, uh, view the examiner's guide, be incredibly thorough with your documentation and process. Um, one thing that we really hadn't talked about, we talked about investment options, but view them all, compare all of those investments, find out what which one really makes the most sense. Talk to different vendors. One thing that I hear quite a bit is credit unions like to talk to each other, get some references, check with other credit unions and see, hey, what's working for them? What isn't working? Why do you like this type of investment? Why didn't you do that type of investment? Ask a lot of questions. One thing that that I see quite a bit is an assumption that a leader of a credit union is financially savvy when it comes to any type of investment program. It's not true. Making sure that things that you're not familiar with, you're not comfortable with, you're asking the right questions and that you're asking questions. I need to, when I'm going through this with a credit union, make the assumption that they're not familiar with this. I need to thoroughly explain under make sure they understand and educate them on the process but they have to be willing to accept that and that's something that i see on a regular basis is people just not sometimes asking the right questions or maybe not having the right level of expertise when it comes to making these investments so just can't ask enough questions and you cannot do enough due diligence on this type of stuff that idea of continuous learning works really well for me since i work for cues which is a learning and talent development organization Greg, thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. I really appreciate the time here today. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Q's. And thank you again to our special guest, Greg Smythe, Executive Benefits Specialist with Q Solutions Platinum Provider, CUNA Mutual Group. Be sure to visit cues.org slash CMG to learn more about the company's executive benefits and retirement plan offerings. And if you're interested in becoming a Q's Solutions provider, please email carrie at cues.org. That's K-A-R-I at C-U-E-S dot org. For more talent development content from Q's, visit cues.org now. 
If you're a Q's member, you have access to invaluable membership benefits to further enhance your development. Visit Q's.org slash membership to learn more about our new offerings for 2019. Q's is an international credit union association. Our mission is to educate and develop credit union CEOs, executives, directors, and future leaders. To learn how Q's can help you realize your potential, visit Q's.org today.